Good morning, church. I feel like Glenn. Uh, well, I don't know if it was last week, the week before. I have my water bottle. I have Kleenexes in my pocket. I, too, have been kind of battling that cold, whatever stuff has um, been going around. So, yeah. Well, welcome to Palm Sunday. It's the sixth Sunday of Lent, and today's the first day of Holy Week. Um, if you remember the Greater Things newsletter that you got in March, um, I wrote the article for the newsletter, and in that I encouraged you to make some kind of a change for Lent, either to give something up, to do something you've been thinking or meaning you're going to do. So now I'm kind of wondering, if, since we're about at the end of Lent, we're almost to Easter, you know, Lent's going to end on Saturday. Um, did you make any changes? Did you try anything for Lent? Did you give something up? Did you try something new? Um, was it hard? Were you successful? Did you learn anything on that, you know, along that little trip you were taking there? And um, do you think you're going to continue it? After Easter, if you're like, you know, I made this really positive change. And you're like, one thing is I said, I made my bed every day. And it was just so nice to go in and you're like, oh, you know what? I can do this. I can make my bed every day. So think about that in this coming week leading up to Easter. And I hope you did try to observe Lent in some way. So today we're going to continue our Lenten series that is entitled The Life We Now Live. And so far, we've talked about confession, repentance, sin in our lives, the power of encouragement, the virtue of God versus the vices of the world. And today, we're going to look at making Jesus the king of our life. So let's start by reading our theme verse, Galatians 2.20. It's going to be on the screen, and we can read that together. So join with me, please. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. All right, will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for this Palm Sunday, the start of Holy Week. Thank you for what this week means to those of us who follow you. Thank you for Jesus and the sacrifice he made for our sins. Please be present with us this morning, and I pray that your message will be heard. Open our hearts and minds to hear what you would have us to hear from you. Amen. So the scriptures that Kim and Sandy read for us from Luke 19 describe Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. His popularity was at an all-time high, and he entered Jerusalem during the Feast of the Passover, the high holy Jew Jewish holiday, when thousands of Jews had made their pilgrimages to Jerusalem. The time had come for Jesus to make his declaration as true king, thus the triumphal entry. Whenever a king came to Jerusalem, a triumphal entry was made, and palm branches were waved before the triumphant king. And during Jesus' triumphal entry, the people laid their cloaks on the ground and they, in front of him, and then they cried out, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were hailing him as king. 
kind of like Erica did with the kids and Glenn did a little bit of this earlier, I said, I tried to visualize like what we could compare it to now that's going on. And I think it was bigger than the welcome, like if the Arthur basketball team won the regional, sometimes, you know, the fire truck might meet them at the edge of town with the sirens going and the lights flashing and then all the cars come behind the bus honking their horn. I think it was bigger than that. Um, maybe it was more like a ticker tape parade, like sometimes they have in big cities like New York, whenever a team has won the World Series or they're the Super Bowl champions or the World Cup soccer, what they do is um, along the parade route, people in the office building throw out shredded paper. And so it looks like this big snowfall coming down over the conquering team. I also thought about the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade when Santa is making his entry into New York City. You know, there's bands and there's floats and there's those hot air balloons. And then I also thought of the Disney movie Aladdin. Remember when Prince Ali comes in and he's, he's riding on this elephant and there's dancers and musicians and, and they're singing. I think that's what it was like because Jesus, for the people of that time, that's what his entrance was like. There were thousands of people who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So there were thousands of people lining those streets, waving their palm branches, shouting Hosanna. They were creating an entrance worthy of a king. But we won't be surprised that there was a little bit of a twist to Jesus's entrance. You know, I said in Aladdin, Prince Ali comes in on an elephant. Um, Santa's on a sleigh mounted on that huge float. Um, the celebrities and the people that Erica was talking about, they usually come in in a limousine. But in ancient times, kings would come in on this white stallion, you know, a war horse, like they're going to be the conqueror. Well, but Jesus came in riding on a donkey. Okay, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't ride anything, but if I had to ride something, I don't think I'd choose a donkey. So why did he choose a donkey? Well, it was to fulfill the prophecy of the prophet Zechariah, who wrote in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a don the foal of a donkey. And not only was he riding on a donkey, he was riding on a donkey that had never been ridden. For some, for me, for some of us, that might be a problem, but we have to remember that Jesus had the power to calm the storm. He had the power to heal, the power to raise people from the dead. So riding an unbroken colt wouldn't have been a problem for him. And just as a side note, Jesus will get a chance to make a grand entry on a white horse. Revelation 19.11 says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. Verse 16 says, On his robe and his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. 
So Jesus will make another triumphal entry announcing his return. Now, to the question of the day. Is Jesus the king of the life you are now living? Is Jesus the king of my life? Jesus is the king everyone needs, but not everyone accepts him or lives their life as if he were their king. How can we tell if Jesus is the king of our entire life? Well, here are some questions we can ask ourselves. Question one, do we act like we are the host of our life and Jesus is the guest? If we are the one who is in control of our relationship with Jesus, we are acting like the king of our life. We are usurping his throne, taking his crown. We are lowering Jesus to be the subject in our realm where we are the ruler. And he is there to serve us, not for us to serve him. Question two, what is the deep desire of your heart? I'm not talking about our wish list, our bucket list, but the deepest desire of our hearts. What is it? That is what we will crown king of our lives. If our deepest desire isn't to become more like Jesus and grow in our relationship with him, then he's not the king of our life. And question three, who is Jesus to you? Who is he to me? The answer to that question will determine how we live our lives and where we spend eternity. Is Christ the king of our life? If Christ is the king, we have to let him into our whole house, our whole life, not just the two or three rooms that are ready to receive company. Do you have rooms in your house that you close the door to when company is coming? I do. If you come to my house to visit, my bedroom door is probably going to be closed because that's like where the catch-all of everything of, oh my goodness, company's coming. Where can I put this? It goes, all goes in my bedroom. So I shut the door. Some rooms we feel like they might reflect badly upon us. So we must turn all the parts, all the rooms of our lives over to Jesus. Our personal life, our family life, our professional life, our thought life, they all belong to him, even if they are, they are messy, disorganized, and not ready to be on display. As our Lenten verse says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That means we need to follow what Paul says in Colossians 3 in all parts of our life. So turn with me, Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to be reading from verses 1 through 17. I'm reading from the NIV, and in my Bible, this section is called Rules for Holy Living. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Then skip down to verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitudes in your heart to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The first four verses of chapter 3 are the explanation for the instructions that follow. And in the paraphrase, the message, they put it this way. So, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up. Be alert to what is going around, on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Once we have accepted Christ, we are a new creation with a new way of living our lives. Lives where Jesus is the king. So let's break down our lives and see how these verses can be applied to show that Jesus is the king of our life. So first, our personal lives. Verse 5 applies to our personal lives. Again, from the message, and that means killing off everything connected with that way of death. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. We need to give our marriages, our relationships, and our friendships over to God. If we're married, we need to be faithful to our spouse and live out the vows that we made when we got married. We need to work hard on our marriages and model the kind of marriage we want to have our children to have. If you're dating, are you conducting your dating relationship in a manner that is pleasing to God? Are your friendships wholesome and leading you in a positive direction? Our friends have a tremendous influence on us and we need to choose them wisely. 
Parents, you need to know who your kids' friends are. Are they a positive or a negative influence on your kids? We need friends who build us up, but who are also willing to call us out if we're straying down a wrong path. We need friends who model Christ-like behavior and attitudes. Friends who are trying to have a daily walk with Jesus. And the message paraphrase that line about doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it really caught my attention. Don't we all like to be able to do whatever we want, whenever we want? Danielle Bean wrote that she prays a morning offering every day where she commits her whole day to God. And she said one Saturday she woke up, she prayed her morning offering prayer, and then started her day because she had plans. She was going to paint and finish up some projects around the house. She was going to write and she was going to clean. It was going to be her day. But before she could ever get started, her 17-year-old son said, Mom, can you give me a ride to school? I want to meet my friends. We're going to the football game. So she took her son to meet his friends. Then her 13-year-old needed help with homework. Then she answered the phone for her husband's business and her daughter needed supplies for a craft project. Well, the final straw was when her son, her oldest son called and said, Mom, I need a ride home from the game. So she said, as I was driving, she said, I yelled. She said, I yelled at myself for being a pushover and letting everyone else's plans come first. I yelled at my family for being so selfish and demanding. And I yelled at God, asking him, is it really too much to ask for me to have times to do the things I wanted to do? So she picked up her son and she said, we were driving home in silence and I was having a silent conversation about the situation. And she said, in his mercy, he answered me. I realized that the morning offering prayer I had prayed that day had been a big, fat lie. I hadn't given my day over to God. I had considered the day my own. I wanted to rule my life. I wanted to control how I spent my time. I wanted to be king. I needed to admit that Jesus was not the Lord of my life. I considered myself Lord and interruptions to my plans were just that, interruptions. I needed to consider that these interruptions can very well be God working in my life, calling me to realize who is really in charge and to reflect more deeply on the words of my morning prayer when I turn the day over to Jesus my King and to pray for the grace to actually mean what I pray. We can all relate to that, can't we? If Jesus is king, we can't always do whatever we want or have anything and everything we think we should have. One person said, whatever you do in private, would Jesus be comfortable sitting next to you while you do it? That question should make us think. Would Jesus be comfortable watching the show I'm watching, 
listening to the music I'm listening to, reading the book I'm reading, being in the place I am? If the answer is no, then we need to change the station, read a different book, go somewhere else. We need to give everything, our time, our plans, our actions, and our possessions over to God. So now our professional lives. If Jesus is the king of our life, we'll bring him to work with us. We'll try to live out our faith at work. And this is an area where verse 8 of Colossians can apply. The message tells us that since we are Christians, we know better now, so make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Just think about how our workplaces would change if all of those things were removed. Morale would go up. People would want to come to work. It would be an enjoyable environment to work in. So if your coworkers are bad-mouthing your boss or your supervisor, we shouldn't join in. We should monitor our language and the words that come out of our mouth. We should avoid making fun of or gossiping about our coworkers. We should set a good example in our words and deeds. We should tell the truth. Be honest in our dealings. We need to be good employees or a good boss where we do our job to the best of our ability. We shouldn't just try to do enough to get by. We should try to go above and beyond. We need to share our faith with our coworkers. This can be done with words, but also can be done with our actions. We need to evangelize those around us when the opportunity arises. In the NIV, verse 5 warns about greed. In the message, it is called grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. Paul referred to this as idolatry. And a couple weeks ago, Lamar preached about idolatry and how while we may not actually bow down and worship a golden calf or an idol, there are things like money and power that we can make into an idol. Greed is an intense and selfish desire for wealth and power. Greedy people are rarely satisfied with the material things they have. They're often looking for ways to acquire more, no matter the cost. Chasing the money, the promotion, the bigger, better job becomes the focus of their lives. Greedy people will sacrifice their families, their friendships, their time in order to get more, more, more. This quest can lead them down some dangerous paths where they become willing to do anything for more money. It's not wrong to want to get ahead, to move up the ladder at work. We just need to be careful what we are being called upon to sacrifice in order to earn those promotions. If Christ is the king of our lives, we're in communion with him in our daily life through prayer and Bible reading. Is prayer a basic part of our lives? Referring back to Danielle Bean's story, do we really mean what we are praying? Do we really turn our lives over to God or have our prayers become a to-do list for him? Do we set aside time every day for Bible reading and devotion? Bishop Robert Barron said, if we pay attention to him, Jesus, for a few minutes every Sunday, then we live the rest of our lives as though he doesn't even exist, then we are not treating him as the king. 
If we don't spend time and with God and his word any time other than Sunday mornings in church, we can't grow in our faith and become more like Jesus. And lastly, are our minds fixed on Jesus? The Bible tells us we're to have the same mind as Jesus. How can we do that? Philippians 4.8 tells us, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We need to think on the things of God. Think about our faith. Think about what we believe. We should look for ways to share our faith and spread God's message to those around us. So, now we've looked at all the rooms in our lives and we've turned them over to God and we've worked on cleaning them up, cleaning out the sin and the bad habits that were filling them. Something needs to go back into those rooms. Something that will keep the old habits from returning. So in Colossians verses 12 through 14, tell us how we should fill those empty spaces. The message speaks of this as a new wardrobe that we are wearing to replace the filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. I think that's such a good, you know, word picture. It goes on to say that you should dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. His wardrobe includes compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Kind of like if you're a woman, they said every woman should own a little black dress that can go anywhere. Or if you're a man, you put on a pair of khaki pants and a button-down shirt, and you can go anywhere and be appropriately dressed. So never be without that all-purpose garment. Some of these things may be hard to do, and they're the opposite of what the world is telling us to do. He says, be content with second place. Definitely not what the world is telling us. We hear that there can only be one winner, and everybody else is a loser. We're told to go big or go home. So he says, be even-tempered and quick to forgive. Not always easy. And always show love even with someone you feel is being unlovable. So Paul ends this section of chapter 3 with these words. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. So as we go out through this week leading up to Easter, may we live our lives so that people will know that Jesus is the king of the life we now live. Think about Jesus this week and what this holy week held for him. Celebration, communion, 
betrayal, crucifixion. We hope that you'll join us next Sunday as we celebrate the best part, his resurrection. So may Jesus reign supreme in your life. Thank you, Nancy, for those encouraging words. May we take them with us as we go into this Holy Week. Hope to see you all here next Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection and Easter. Would you pray with me? God and Father of Jesus Christ, we leave this place for a week in which busy activities and worshipful remembrance are intertwined together. Teach us even now how to make every day a day of prayer so that each day of our lives is filled with hope because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Help us all to consider this morning if Jesus truly is the King of our life. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a wonderful week, everyone.